0: Give me the Bible, shall guide me in the narrow way.
1: This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. Back last fall,
0: I had the opportunity of preaching out in Colorado. I was in the city of, of in, in Denver at the uh, Bear Valley School of Preaching. And during a time we had a little break, a friend of mine and I got in a car and we went out into the Rocky Mountains. And what a beautiful afternoon it was, seeing the sights, seeing all of the uh, things that God has made. And incidentally, we stopped at a, a place there where we could find something we could drink, and went in, and I asked this lady, here we are over 14,000 feet up and on a mountain, and I said, uh, do, do you have direct TV here? She said, well, yes, we do. And, and, I, and so I told her what time we are on in her area, and so uh, I was putting a little word in for the program while we were up on top of the mountain. I love the mountains. And today, I want to think about living on a mountain. Not literally, but figuratively. Let's think about mountaintop living. Stay tuned as we discuss that today. Now, on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a, a free Bible course. I'd like for you to have that course. And what we're going to do is take a, 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 just a brief pause so that you can learn more about the
1: course and how to receive it.
0: Let me read Romans chapter 8 today, verse 1 and verse 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. To my way of thinking, the book of Romans is one of the great books of the Bible. It's such a deep book, a rich book. And it's just my judgment that the eighth chapter is sort of one of the key chapters in this book. The twelfth chapter is a great chapter. It talks about Christian living. But in, so, someone has referred to the eighth chapter as the highest mountain peak in all of God's revelation. Because you see, this chapter tells us the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. So some have referred to it as the chapter on blessed assurance. I'm just going to call it today, the chapter on living on the mountaintop. And in a previous study together, we talked about the fact that this chapter tells us about that we're no longer a condemned people. That's in verse 1. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And in order to be in Christ, one must obey the gospel of Christ. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In in, uh, Acts, the second chapter, when people ask what we must do, they they were told to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. And so for a person to be in Christ, they must be as a penitent, confessing believer, baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ did put on Christ. We put Christ on. When we're baptized into Christ, there's no condemnation. Another thing we learned in our study on a previous day is that it, as Christians, we're no longer alienated from God because now we're a member of the family. And if we are in the family, we have God as our Father. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 17, we're told that if we're children of God, And then if we are children, we're heirs heirs of God. And now we're joined heirs with Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought to know? What a great privilege it is to be a child of God. And you become a child of God by being born of water and the Spirit. John chapter 3 and verse 5. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I believe that Galatians 3.26 and 27 is a divine commentary on John 3.5. Listen to it. Verse 26: For you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ did put on Christ. John 3 is talking about how we're born into the family of God. Galatians 3:26 and 27 tells us how to be born into the family of God. By faith, by being baptized into Jesus Christ. So there's no alienation if God is our Father. Now, thir- another thing we learn from this chapter is that there is no disintegration. I want to call your attention now to verse 18. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We live in an old world today that's filled with suffering and sufferers. We live in a world that is filled with trouble. And Christians are not immune to it. Christians can have problems too. In John cha- uh, Job chapter 14 and 1, the Bible says that man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And Christians can have trouble. But you know when you... I I want you to think about something. Now just stop and let's think. I want you to think about the worst thing that has ever happened to you. The worst thing that's ever happened to you. Paul had a lot of bad things to happen to him. According to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, he was stoned, he was beaten. He was in a shipwreck. He was, his life was in peril everywhere he went. There were times that he went, he was in nakedness, in cold, he was hungry. Paul knew what trouble was. But in this verse, Romans 8:18, 8, he said, The sufferings of this present time, whatever I'm putting up with, think about the worst thing that ever happened to you is not anything compared to the glory that's going to be given to us, that will be revealed to us one day on life's other side. You know, that sort of makes life a little bit more livable sometimes. But when you think about the best is yet to come, this is not the worst yet. Another way to think about it is, I may be in the dust, but I'm going to rise again. Things are going to be better. You see, the sufferings of this world are just temporary. That's what Paul wrote about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to him beginning in verse 16. For which cause we faint not? That means we do not lose heart. If the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. Our light affliction which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. for well, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Now, don't you think about for just a moment what Paul talks about here. He, he said our light affliction, he called his afflictions light. Now, how could you refer to being whipped, beaten, stoned? All the things that happened to the Apostle Paul as a light affliction. It, it was because of that with which he compared it. He compared it with a weight of glory. And he referred to his light affliction which is but for a moment. And yet all the things that happened to Paul lasted for a lifetime to the very day that he died. So how could he refer to being stoned just uh, for a moment? It was because of that with which he compared it. He compared it with an eternal weight of glory. If you are a Christian, the best is yet to come. If you've given your life to Christ through obedience to the gospel of Christ, by believing on on Jesus, by repenting of your sins, confessing that He is the Son of God, and by being baptized into Him as the Bible teaches, in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, as the Bible teaches in so many, many other places, for example, Acts 2.38, 1 Peter 3.21, Acts 2.38, among several. If you've done that, I want you to know the best is yet to come. You see, we are not going to be disintegrated. No, no. This life is not all there is. Some people view death as just the end of it all. The end of it all. That when man dies, he's just like an animal that's died out here in the field. He's just like something that's been killed by the side of the road. But we know from the Bible that as Christians that we're going to live forever. And so what happens to me here is nothing compared to the glory that I'm going to have on the other side. Well, in this mountaintop living, we find that we're not an isolated people. Do you ever hurt? Do you ever have problems? Do you ever pray about them? Said, Brother Lambert, I've prayed about certain things and it just seemed like I just wasn't making any headway because I've hurt so bad that I didn't know exactly how to express myself. Well, I want you to look in verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The Holy Spirit helps us with our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, And he that searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Somebody says, what does all that mean? That's a teaching that there are times as Christians when we try to pray. We have a heart that is burdened, a heart that is broken. And we're trying to pray to God and ask for help in time of need, according to Hebrews 4.16. But we just don't know exactly how to express ourselves to God. Adequately, that is. And in those times, the Bible teaches in those passages, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Now, let me hasten to say, Paul is not talking about what the Holy Spirit does to you. He's talking about what the Holy Spirit does for you. And there's a big difference. That the Holy Spirit intercedes before the throne of God. We, we don't have a problem understanding that Jesus intercedes for us. Hebrews seven twenty five. We don't have a problem understanding that we are to pray intercessory prayers. That is, we pray on behalf of other people. If we know someone who is ill, someone who is sick, someone who is hurting, and we pray that God would help that individual, that is a prayer of intercession. We're interceding before God's throne. And there are times when, as God's people, we don't know exactly how to put it, to God. And I believe that's when the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings which cannot be uttered. There have been times in my my life, with my wife, when we've had burdens to bear. And we've tried to pray about it. We just had a hard time putting it out there, just saying what was really deep down in our heart. And I believe that's those times as a child of God that we have help from the other side. You see, we're talking about living on the mountaintop. But then I want you to look in verse number 28. There's just no miscalculation in the life of a Christian. God's got it all planned out, figured out. We know that all things work together for good, to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to His purpose. This touches into the realm of God's providence. Now, some people confuse God's providence with miracles that were performed in the Bible. A miracle occurred when the natural laws of God were set aside for some desired result. Providence is when God works within the parameters of His established will and His established law to bring about a desired result. Now, there are two realms of providence. There is a general providence. And in the realm of general providence, God provides for all people, regardless of who they are. You see, the word providence has a root word in it, and that root word is provide. God's providence. God's providence. And, and there are blessings that God confers upon all people whether they're Christians or not. For example, if it happens to rain and you are a Christian and the rain falls on your yard and maybe the man next door is an atheist, well, God's not going to skip his yard and then go on to another person that believes in Jesus and serves God. No, the rain's going to fall on the righteous, the unrighteous as well. The sun shines on the good and shines on the bad as well. The, The air that we breathe is a blessing that all people have been provided whether they believe in God or not. You see, there's a realm of general providence. But there is a realm of special providence where God provides for a certain group of people. And that's what he's talking about in verse number 28. You talk about living on the mountaintop. I want you to think about that verse for a minute. The providence of God is announced, strongly announced. He says, we know. There was a, a bit of speculation in Paul's mind. Paul said, this is something that we know. I heard someone say this when I was a student in school and I, I believe it. I believe it with all of my heart. A preacher should leave all of his doubts and question marks in his study. Never take them into the pulpit with you. There wasn't a question mark in Paul's mind about the providence of God. It was positive in the way he announced it. We know. He said all things. That's all inclusive, isn't it? All things. I don't believe that Paul is saying now, and I know he's not saying that, that the things that a person does in their life that are sinful and wrong is going to work out for their good. I don't think Paul's affirming that at all. Not, not when I read the rest of the verse and, and see how limited this verse is. But he says all things. will Work together. That's harmonious. You see, we may not understand how they're working together, but the things of my life are working together harmoniously for good in my life. God's providence not only is harmonious in its nature, it is beneficent in its nature. All things work together for good. Joseph was sold by his brothers into into Egypt. They went eventually down looking for food, and now he's second in command in Egypt. And he uh, uh, reveals himself to them, and they're scared to death. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Who sent Joseph into Egypt? His brothers? No, I'm convinced it was in God's plan. God's plan. God provided. And God's providence is limited. This is His special providence. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. That, that to them that are the called, that has been called by the gospel, according to His purpose. God provides for us, folks. We're, we're not out here isolated. We're not out on a limb somewhere to fend for ourselves. Someone was talking to me the other day, said, you know, I think a lot of people think this about God, that God made everything and then just went off and left us here. No, he did not. All things work together for good in the lives of those that are Christians, the children of God. Sometimes something happens and we think, this has got to be the worst thing that ever happened in our life. And we cannot see any good coming out of it. But it may take some time in your life. It may be on down the road where you realize that what what happened in your life back there worked out for good later. Now think about Joseph again. Now Joseph was a young man When his brother sold him, you remember the story? They put him in a hole in the ground waiting for the slave traders to come by. Do you think Joseph sat on the bottom of that hole and leaned up against the wall of it and said, you know, this is a terrible thing my brother's done to me, but I know that someday all of this is just going to work out for good. I do do not believe for a minute he had that perspective. But years later, looking back, he said, when you did that to me, You did it because you didn't want me anymore. You did it because of evil in your life. But God meant it for good. You see, sometimes it takes time for us to see the working together of all things for good. But then there's something else about mountaintop living. And that is there is no accusation that can be brought against those who are God's people. I want you to notice now verses uh, 31 and following. What shall we then say to these things? Now, that's a pretty significant statement. And these things, I think, would have to go all the way back to verse 21. I mean to verse 1. Where he begins talking about how that when we start living for the Lord, we're living on the mountaintop. We're no longer a condemned people. And, and he comes forward about how that God works things out in our lives. We have help along the way and so forth. He said, now what shall we say to these things? Now listen to this statement. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, if that doesn't perk you up, then I think you need to go and have your blood pressure checked. You may need to go to the doctor and have a complete checkup if that doesn't perk you up. If you've got God on your side, you tell me who can be against you. Does that mean people won't oppose you? No. But you're going to learn later in this chapter that we're not a defeated people. God is for us. This is how God, how much God is for us. Notice in verse 32, He that spared not His own Son, He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't give one of many that He had, He gave His only one, and He did not spare Him. He was willing to give Him, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If God was willing to give His Son, Well, you just think about what else God is willing to do for us. God wants to help you. He wants to be there for you. The Apostle Paul was a man who had problems as a Christian, as an apostle. He had what he referred to in 2 Corinthians 9 as a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it was. No one does but Paul and the Lord. And three times he asked God to remove the thorn. But God's answer was, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, God was there for Paul. If God is for us, who can be against us? All the demons in hell cannot be against us if we have God on our side. I heard someone make this statement, I think it's a true statement, that one man and God make a majority. One man and God make a majority. And we need to understand the blessings that we have as children of God. Well, now in closing, I want you to know that we have no separation. There's no separation. Look at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril of sword? For as it, it is written, for the, your sake we're all killed all the day long, recounted as sheep for the slaughter. And all these things were more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Folks, we're conquerors. We're living on top of the mountain. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know the blessings that can be yours if you give your life to Christ today. He that believeth, baptized, shall be saved, Jesus said. We'd like to help you in rendering obedience to the gospel of Christ. I want to thank you for watching today, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you,
1: is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbiblegolftel.com. At or call us anytime at one 711 5214